Welcome back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. I'm so glad you've joined <coughs> us today for our, our recording this week. My name is Tim Pasek. I'm one of the ruling elders at Mercy Hill, and I'm joined by my co-host and our pastor, Phil Henry. Phil, how you doing? Good. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. It's uh, wonderful to be with you today. We have a nice rainy fall morning here mm. in South Jersey. My newly planted grass is loving it. <laughs> and so is your uh, your wallet, too, because it doesn't cost you to, That's true. to water it. So That's true. My uh, rain gauge is telling the sprinklers to stay off. There you go. See, God's blessings ab- abound on us this morning. I also planted some, since we're, ter- this has turned into, a, I, I know our mm-hmm. listeners are just eager to hear mm-hmm. about my... It's, it's riveting stuff. Yeah. yeah. Planted some winter vegetables, winter veggies. <laughs> Kale and broccoli, some celery, some red lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> some of our listeners are probably wondering where the where the protein is that go along with that, because uh, you're talking about food that food eats, in my opinion. Oh, good point. Good point. <laughs> well, in the dirt in which they grow, there's some really good looking earthworms that there I'll probably go. bring to the plate with them. There you go. There you go. Well, we uh, have the privilege of picking up on part two of a mini sermon series that we just came in like a whirlwind and out the door <laughs> two, two weeks back to back on the mission and vision of the church. And I guess you could say specifically for Mercy Hill, but <coughs> I think it's applicable well beyond the four walls of Mercy Hill and Glassboro. Um, And so last week we were in John 15, the true vine passage where Jesus says he's the true vine. And we talked about um, the mission of the church. And then this week we are in Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi in chapter three. And, um, for those eagle-eyed Mercy Hill members who might be listening, and you, you actually called this out, so you didn't have to be that eagle-eyed about it, but you originally had a much larger scope, I think, intended for the sermon, and you narrowed it down to three verses, which you had plenty to, you had plenty to go off of there, Phil, with just verses 12, 13, and 14. Um, and I think I had to listen to the sermon um, this morning before our recording because I was down in the nursery yesterday. But um, I believe I heard you say that, you know, you were just following kind of the Lord's leading, the Spirit's leading on what you believe the church needed to hear. And it wasn't, it was those three verses. Right. So the way I... Uh, pastorally prepare the messages is I will often pick the the, the pericope or the, the span of verses for the, the sermon mm-hmm. well in advance sometimes months in advance and then as I get closer I'll often refine that that set of verses to something that's a little more closely focused on what I want to do in this case 
I won't call it a game day decision, but it was it was really in the last latter half of the week that I chiseled down my text mm. to just those three verses. And um, the bulletins had already been printed. <laughs> it's all good. I, I speak on behalf of the church here. We're good with whatever you want to bring yeah. to the pulpit on Sunday, particularly if that's what the Lord is putting on your heart. So, um, and like I said, there, there was plenty there. There really for is. For you. And <clears throat> I kind of joked to you before we hit the record button that when I saw the bulletin and you had nine or ten verses in there, I thought it was a very not Phil Henry thing to do, is have have a passage of ten verses. Normally it's like two or three verses or a chapter. It's kind of one or the mm-hmm. other, not, not, not a large section in between. So um, your sermon title was The Upward Call of God, which comes directly from the text, and I'm, I'm thinking maybe I'll read the passage and Excellent. We, could, we could talk a little bit about... Um, your points from the sermon, but then specifically, Phil, I'd, I'd like to spend a decent amount of time today talking about the application side of it. Okay. Since this was about kind of the vision of the church, I think that would that would be a good way to, to take a deeper cut of, of what the Lord shared um, through you yesterday. So let me read. This is Philippians 3, starting in verse 12, going to verse 14. Paul writes this, Not that I have already obtained this. He's referring to the resurrection from the dead. There. Or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So that was our our text, and you, I think, did well, Phil, to to give a little bit of context about Paul and his life and what you called gospel math, you know, and that is kind of comparing what he had in his life to that of what he had in Christ and those scales being tipped when Christ entered his life, basically would be Mm -hmm. my way of summarizing that. Yeah. And then you had a couple (coughs) truths about this upward call, um, specifically, which is, was the kind of meat or the thrust of your, Mm -hmm. your message. So, uh, for those who have not listened this is my hit the pause button reminder, go and listen to the sermon and then come back pick up on the podcast but just as a recap your three points were the upward call of god has an athletic character and then it requires a lifelong pursuit and it has a divine source right those were the the three so um where where do you want to jump in the pool here well um it is so important that we pay attention to the vivid language in this passage, which is why I started there with the athletic hmm. imagery. And um, though I, I didn't share a whole lot in the in the sermon, having been a runner and, and an athlete really my whole life, 
I think I ran my first road race when I was seven. Uh, and I don't do so much running anymore, but I'll still throw on the running shoes and uh, maybe a couple times a week. But the soft persecution that we experience in the West and in America is generally aimed towards taming and subduing our, our, our sharp Christian, you know, blunting our sharp Christian uh, convictions and taming and subduing our Christian passions. And Paul will have none of that. Hmm. So, so this is kind of a fan the flame, to quote a phrase that he uses in the pastorals to Timothy. But he, here he's pointing to his own example, and he's explicit about that in, mm-hmm. in, at, at the end of the chapter. Um, uh, as a way of inspiring the Philippians to follow his example, the, the church at Philippi, with the sharp conviction and, you know, white-hot passion that the gospel creates in the human heart. He, he yeah, so to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, he, he's, he's speaking in extreme terms is the way I, I, when I read it. And it doesn't feel that way when you just kind of read through the passage, but then when you focus in some of the words, you did that mm-hmm. particularly in I'm trying to remember which point it was that you had made um uh in your first point you had you had given kind of four kind of applications for us mm-hmm. and one of those was we must be uh, go beyond our limits and paul here is, uses the phrase straining forward And I really appreciated you pointing that out because that's an extreme, like, this is beyond what I'm physically capable. Uh, My mind went to, um, you always hear about people and like the Marines and stuff and what the average person, your limit in your mind is like 10% of what your actual breaking point is. That's true. And we just, the average person doesn't know how to tap into that. I'm one of them. I I will raise my hand. I cry uncle real quick. Um, but Paul's talking about finding that other 90%. Right. I, I think I called it uh, get, finding the next gear. And that right. really in, in, in running, that, that's, a, that's a great way to think about it. And when you see a great runner, you can, see, you can actually see the gear. Right. They call it the kick, right? The kick. That's right. Yeah, I've watched enough track. And, and man, to... and when, when you see a great runner... Uh, find that lower gear, mm-hmm. he or she just, it's just, it's a sight to behold. Mm. And then an- another analogy, which um, I had to hold myself back from these <laughs> running analogies because I, I love it so much. But Coach T, my high school track coach, talked about running through the finish line. If If your eye is on the finish line, then your body will psychologically you communicate to your body your body just starts to slow down you know five or ten meters before then so he said always look 10 meters past the finish line as your real finish line and then Mm. you'll prevent uh any 
slowing down too soon. I think that has to do with st- straining, hmm. stretching forward. You know, and you, can you picture a runner cro- yeah, in a they sprint? They, they, it's their chest that has to cross the finish line, so they kind of throw their chest across the finish line. Yeah, they kind of thrust themselves mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. That's the image we need to be working with here, and part of the value of preaching is that you can explain things with vivid language that sometimes private Bible reading, you're either tempted to overlook or just distracted or you just don't see it there. Um, The familiarity of English combined with perhaps having read it before, combined with maybe, you know, kind of fitting your devotions in on a lunch break or, or whatever it may be the case. Um, a plug for scripture memory here is in order because when you, when you memorize scripture, it does slow you down and brings you to a level of saturation with the concepts of the word that you don't get when you're just reading the lines. Yeah. Particularly if you're following a reading plan where you're you know, trying to knock out four, a psalm, a proverb, an Old Testament, and a New Testament kind of a reading plan, mm-hmm. which I'm a fan of. But, um, again, preaching gives us that concentrated exposure to to the actual words of the Bible. This is maybe overly simplistic, but one of the things I always um, appreciate about, about hearing the word preached on Sunday is that it's read out loud. Um, and I'm thinking specifically yesterday, what in this phrase we t- we're talking about currently, straining forward, you made a point to read that with some particular inflection, which was very helpful mm-hmm. um, in identifying what Paul's saying, the extreme nature of what he's saying. Um, and I've found... <coughs> That if you're just reading to yourself and not reading out loud, you, you kind of, everything becomes monotone and you're mm-hmm. not really r- reading that into it. But if you read out loud, even to yourself, you might be it's more quite inclined yeah. to pick up on those things. Yeah. Um, and not the least of which you're getting it through two senses and not just one, not right. just your eyes, but your ears. Right. And it's moving your vocal cords. So there's a physical impression that the words are making. My pastor, when I was in college, David Crum, did his devotions out loud. Hmm. And you knew because if you were in, he was in his office early in the morning, and if you were in the church building early in the morning, you could, you could hear him doing his devotions. So oh, that's cool. it had the added effect of encouraging others. He was not a proud man in any way, but... Right but uh, just humbly blessed others. There, there's something that there really is something to be said for that and not to go down a rabbit trail here or rabbit hole, but I mean, I, there are certain passages when I read them, I hear other people's voices in my head as I read them because I heard a sermon from mm-hmm. that person and the way he read it stuck in my mind and I can't help but read it that way now. 
because of how I read it and the impression that it had made. Mm. So I, I guarantee you, anytime I read Philippians 4 now and I read Straining Forward, your voice is going to be in my head, Phil, whether you I'm like so it or sorry. not. so sorry um, for that, Tim. But it just will be, and that's a, I mean, I, that's a great thing for me. Sure. Um, so anyway, we, we've gone a little bit off topic, but the point being, or, or bring us back to the point I think we were trying to make, is that the vivid language that Paul uses. I mean, and that's a very Pauline thing to, to do. Paul's kind of not over the top, but, you know, kind of. He's an intense guy. Yeah. And, and he, he's not afraid to use vivid language. And he uses athletic imagery actually in multiple places in his, in his letters. So uh, this, this being one of, the, one of the most important places for that. And it, it suits the overall message, which is, if I could put it in a nutshell, the status quo for your individual walk with the Lord and for our collective walk with the Lord as a church is not acceptable. Mm. We don't have a status quo faith unless this, you know, unless the status we're talking about is the risen and reigning Lord. Mm. That is status quo. That's not changing. But our experience of that upward call is something that always must be um, advanced. Just like an athlete. Another one of Coach T's um, maxims or proverbs was, you know, when, when you're sleeping, your, your opponent is training. <laughs> um, and from the 12-step program, I've heard uh, s- s- your 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 addiction is doing push-ups in the parking lot while you're sitting here in this meeting. Meaning, as soon as you leave the the, the confines of this support group, you're going to be confronted with a stronger foe than when you came in here. So be prepared. Mm. The status quo doesn't cut it. Um, and Coach T would always always also say he said. If you're not getting faster, you're getting slower. There's no main, you can't just maintain the current fitness level. Yeah, don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? There you go. Thanks to Paul for that one. Yep. Um, So maybe help help frame this for me and for the listeners, because I think you could be, tempted or misguided in framing this whole idea this upward call from a mean god i'm required to do this i have to work harder type thing right right and that's not what paul's saying and it's also not paul saying this is my requirement of you right to the church so how should we look at this? What would the Bible tell us or what would Paul say is the way that we should, I look at it like we get to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily look that at that. I'm not a runner. <laughs> never been a runner. I did sports that included running, never track. I never could get my mind around why am I running for fun, just running. So sort it's a like little foreign to me. Just eating vegetables, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Give me the food that was supposed to eat this food. Right. Um, but, you know, 
how do I get excited about about this? I mm-hmm. guess would be the very very uh, <laughs> selfish way of putting that. It's a great question. Um, I don't always subscribe to this, and a lot of people in New Jersey don't subscribe to this. But there's a uh, in, in communication there's a kind of a rubric that corporate America has encouraged when you're giving negative feedback, you want to sandwich it mm-hmm. with uh, say something nice in the beginning and say something nice at the end. Yeah. But the problem is in a corporate context, when someone says something nice to you, you've already dismissed it and you're waiting for the negative feedback and you've already cut through the, uh, <laughs> the bureaucratic phony baloney, if yeah. I could put it that way. Um, but if you'll notice in the sermon, that's what I did. So gospel math was the gospel on the front end, mm-hmm. and it's the call that comes from God in and through Jesus Christ, who assumed our human nature and lived the perfect human life that we could never live, died on the cross for all of our human faults and foibles, and then was resurrected and ascended into glory. So the upward call of God and our um, athletic engagement in that call and refusal to accept the status quo as we've been talking about here is preceded and you know it's bookended on on both sides by the the amazing grace of god so the question actually reveals the necessity of this passage because we do shy away from the work of, of discipleship mm-hmm. and of growing in our faith. And our natural inclination is to just to settle into a status, uh, kind of a, a mediocre, lukewarm status of going to church. And this is kind of suburban American, kind of mild-mannered Christianity, going to church, coming home, taking care of business, you know, doing my thing. And that's that's not that it, it it's a struggle and paul himself recognizes you know that he 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 still didn't fully get his arms around this idea that you and i are are wrestling with i can say for myself in preparation for the sermon which was which has now been months that i've been thinking through these things i've recognized the need to um imitate paul which again i didn't expound that part of uh, Philippians 3, but Paul calls us to imitate him in this passage. And so I've been really searching my heart about (coughs) my own walk with the Lord and my own calling as a man of God, a, a brother in Christ, a preacher of the gospel for months uh, prior to preaching this which is just a, a reminder for pastors and as, aspiring preachers and teachers that you need to feed from the same food that that you're giving to people, which Paul is doing. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of a an implicit challenge here to any preacher that would preach this to have some sort of analogous appeal to the church he's preaching to. Right. I haven't laid hold of this Mercy Hill but I'm trying. Now you need to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of self-awareness here in Paul's writing. You know, mm-hmm. it's not 
Paul, Paul's in a way preaching, but like you're just saying, he's preaching with awareness of where he he is situated here. He even uses, I love that he, right in the middle here, uh, appeals to them as brothers. <coughs> mm-hmm. right? Brothers, not that I've already done this myself. So it's not like, hey, I'm Paul, and I was your teacher, and so listen to me because I was your teacher. Right. It's, I'm right here with you. We're doing this. Right. Maybe that'll lead to the next part of our conversation because one of your application points, Phil, if I could jump there now, was corporate, you called corporate sanctification. Mm-hmm. And you've been so kind as to provide your transcript for me. So I'm going to read the definition that you gave. Wonderful. That will be helpful. Um, corporate sanctification is the process by which not just one person, but a whole group of people covenanted together as a church progressively grows by the power of the Holy Spirit in the likeness of Christ. It was a mouthful the first time I read it. <laughs> and that's, that's a, a power pack multivitamin even here. Well, I mean, I guess the simple way to put it is if we're all individually being sanctified, then as a church, we're collectively being sanctified. True. Um, um, as, a, as an illustration of this, maybe you could read a passage of Scripture for yeah. us, Tim. Yeah. Turn to the first two verses of 1 Corinthians. And to s- set this in context, like Philippi is a Greek city uh, that was a place where Paul had planted a church and ministered the gospel. Corinth uh, in southern Greece is is a church where Paul ministered the gospel and was a you know carried out missionary activities. The church was formed, and he writes to this church a letter a letter to the church about struggles that the church has mm-hmm. and Corinthians is unique in this in the sense that the entire letter, once he dispenses with his preliminaries, is question after question after question that they're asking or that they should be asking and are not asking about their practice, their collective practice of Christianity or their shared expression of the gospel is falling short in chapter 3, in chapter 4, in chapter 5, in chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Mm -hmm. And then he says, now, what I really wanted to talk to you about in 1 Corinthians 15, what's of first importance is the gospel. <laughs> right. So he kind of does the same thing. You know, he, he starts off with the gospel in Corinthians 1 and 2, and he ends with it in Corinthians 15. And the entire rest of the letter deals with how they're falling short in their corporate sanctification. So, but he alludes to this kind of the project in the first two verses. Yeah. So Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenius to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Christ Jesus Christ both their Lord and ours so I love he mentions the sanctified church mm-hmm. but Corinth is anything but sanctified. Mm-hmm. So 
it's certainly an aspirational title if there ever was one. Um, so we are not that different than the Corinthian congregation, although our struggles are different. We are the sanctified people at Mercy Hill, or if you look at the New Jersey Presbytery or the PCA. Mm-hmm. Um, you could look at the church in Glassboro, which includes other denominations and other churches which are godlier than our church in some things and which fall far short in areas where we have made good progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm concerned that we don't know each other well enough or care enough about our church to have a vision for godliness as a congregation. And that's my burden for the message. And that's that's a sharp critique. But um, it was implied in, in what I said on Sunday. But, you know, do we really care? about our shared life as a church, the quality. I know um, I, a Mercy Hill proverb is, no one, no one cares like an owner. And if you, you know, one criticism of the word church membership is, you know, American Express membership has its privileges. Or like a country club, you get access to the, to the driving range and, you know, f- three, th- three drinks if you're a member of the, the, the Southwest flying frequent flying club you get free drinks on the plane and so people come to church with a membership mindset the, the saying goes they're coming just to see what what's in it for me how's your youth ministry and do you mm-hmm. have a ladies bible study and is there some cool stuff going on for the guys no okay i'm gonna look i'm gonna look elsewhere it's an extremely individualistic and selfish bordering on idolatrous mindset towards the body of Christ and corporate sanctification confronts that idolatry and says you have a part to play in the holiness of the people who are part of this fellowship are you are, are you worthy mm. if I could put it in those terms um, are you prepared are you are you ready to come and make a difference in this place not just come sit, take, soak, soak in the hot tub of what we have to offer, but actually add, value add, make a difference here. Yeah, that's, sorry. Uh, I have a lot of different thoughts running through my mind. I'm trying to, to pick and choose which ones are worth um, verbalizing. So... I love that Paul, in those verses I just read, says, um, called to be saints together. Um, and that stuck out to me because we're talking about the upward call of God. Yes. So this, and you talked about what call, what kind of what that means, um, and that it's coming from God. He's initiating that. We have to, I don't want to say reciprocate, we have to, we have to do something on our part, mm-hmm. but um, you don't, you're not placing that call. God is, you know, to use a, a more modern version of the word call. So there's that uh, in, 
in the context of like our church, we don't pick even the, the session. Like we don't pick and choose who are members of the church. Right. Like it's not like picking a kickball team. Sure. Right. Sure. So like, I talk about this a lot when we do member interviews. Um, we don't have a long list of criteria that you have to meet in order to become a member of Mercy Hill. It's a minimum. It's, it's a minimum list. Yeah. I mean, and because and, that's what the, the Bible tells us, not because Mercy Hill, you know, ha, we have our own prerogatives here. Um, that being said, I follow it up very quickly with it's, it's a low bar to entry in a way. Right. They're important. There, there, is, there is a minimum here. There's not anyone and everyone is welcome as a member of the church. But if you're going to become a member of the church, we call it an in-covenant membership. And you, in your definition of corporate sanctification, I'll pull it up again. A whole group of people covenanted together as a church. And that means something. That's not just, you know, fancy language. That's, uh, um, I'm going to butcher his definition, but do you, re- do you recall you just read uh, O. Palmer Robertson? Right. Well, it's a, a bond. Uh, s- s- sovereign promise or sovereign commitment, bond in a blood. Sov- a sovereignly administrated, I forget the exact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher it, but it's a, it's a serious, almost like Blood's legal. Blood's involved is, is your point. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a. The, the death of the, something. This isn't a country club membership. To your to your point, mm-hmm. right? This isn't the Southwest Airlines program membership where I'm just not going to pay my dues this year and I'm out. You know, um, <laughs> this is a, a a both ways commitment between the church and you, where yes, you get access as a member of Christ Church to the body of Christ, right? But at the same time, you're now part of that body of Christ. So I think of Ephesians 4, where the body builds up the body mm-hmm. of Christ. I preached on this over the summer. So everyone has a part to play, and if you're not willing to play your part, you're actually hurting the entire church. Mm. So like there, there's a weightiness there, and I think often um, probably because of our modern western mindset and the idea of membership and it's elective and it's i mean what can i get you know what are my benefits cost benefits analysis Mm -hmm. here it's going to cost me 300 dollars, and i get this this and this or that's good value for me right um i think we're tempted to also when we think of membership or think of corporately working together um I just need to focus on my part and that's that other stuff's not my part. So what are the elders responsible for? What are the deacons responsible for? What's this ministry? Oh, I'm not part of that ministry. So, you know, I don't need to get involved here or that's not my strength or whatever. You, you kind of gave a charge to our church at the end where it's like, stop asking for permission go do, you know, like you, <laughs> you're part of the church, you have Christ, 
go, you know, stop, stop sitting around waiting for someone to tell you or ask you or say it's okay mm. or give you the thumbs up. Um, that's a real struggle. I think for the church generally, but in our church too, um, a couple of us on the session were, were joking a little bit earlier this summer at the end of VBS, the, the elders had other than oversight over what was kind of being taught. We, we reviewed the material and, you know, we signed off on the budget line item and things like that. And we were certainly praying for VBS. None of us taught VBS. None of us, I think you stopped in a couple times. None of us were there daily. Right, it was a real expression of the body. And we had VBS Sunday. <coughs> and all of, you know, all of the good that God did that week kind of came to the fore at church on Sunday. And Will walked up to me after the service with a big grin on his face and said, do you realize that w we had nothing to do with <laughs> with any of that? You know, and I said, yeah, it's probably a good thing that we didn't, you know, because we probably would have slowed it down or screwed it up in sure. some way, shape or form. And it was great. It was just an amazing thing to, to look at that and go, this is the body of Christ loving one another, working in unity and unison, and it doesn't which, require. Which is what happens when you pursue the upward call and not just your own program for the church. Mm. There's a, a spontaneity about it and. Uh, you mentioned that's this is hard and it is, but when the spirit is in it, even hard things become easy. Hmm. And so, really, again, the message is an appeal to the congregation to find that, to dig deeper, and to find that next gear um, for their faith, and to make sure that they're owning the covenant of their membership to combine terms here like um, in a way that 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 we I think instinctively as Christians we understand we have to own it for our own personal walk with the Lord whether we do that or not is another matter I think we struggle there too mm. and they're connected so a lukewarm Christian makes for a lukewarm church you know, lukewarm is is the phrase out of one of the letters. I mentioned the seven letters in the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. So the church at Ephesus was was uh, neither hot nor cold. And um, even in the, in the uh, prayer of confession for this Sunday, I quoted from Revelation 3.20, which is, Jesus speaking to one of those churches, so he's speaking to Christians, saying, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus, to, Jesus wants you to have that deeper relationship with him than you have. So, and of course, we're talking about on the deeper cut, which is <laughs> ever so appropriate. But um, I, I want our church to be known as a serious church, as a church where we... Uh, n not somber, not mm -hmm. that kind of serious, but mm -hmm. um, intensely joyful, intensely um, sacrificial, intensely generous, you know, a, a serious commitment to embodying all the best things of the kingdom of God that we can. And so the vision that I'm 
that I'm presenting this last Sunday and that I that I have for the church touches on those things. Yeah. I think in, in areas where, as a session, we agree that these are both timely, they're uh, meaningful, they're needed, they're they're important, and um, and for the most part, in, in all four things that I shared, we we have at least a general consensus in, in that direction. Yeah, uh, agreed, agreed, and I agree with what you're saying, Phil. That I want our our church to be serious and I want it to not just be serious. Certainly I want it to be serious on Sundays, but not just on, not just on the Lord's day. And there's nothing that brings a smile to my face faster than after the service, walking through the building and hearing people go, Oh, all right, I'll see you on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. you know, or, Oh, where'd that, where'd that guy go? I wanted to get together with him this week. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd love to see more of that. More than just, hey, let's go to Bonesaw and get a beer. But, you know, if someone wants to start a Bible study, start a Bible study. Don't come talk to Phil or me or someone about starting the Bible study. Just mm-hmm. start the Bible study. Start inviting people. You know, things like that. Um, like VBS, you know. Mm-hmm. If we should have VBS, someone start VBS. And I'll pitch in, you know, my hands raised. I'll pitch in wherever I can. Most certainly I'll speak for myself, but that's to me, that's the seriousness that, that I long for. And I I think we have, we have a lot of that, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's growing (coughs) in our church. Um, And one of the thoughts that came to mind during your sermon, particularly in the applications piece, you were talking about um, getting out of the four balls, right? Thank you, Pastor Ozzy. <laughs> um, and my, my natural bent is like kind of, I want to mull things over all the time. It's That's actually one of my struggles. I'm like, oh, put the brakes on. Let me think about this first. I need the game plan. Um, but the first thing that, that occurred to me was that happens only as much as that first application happens. So corporate sanctification, in my mind, is basically a prerequisite or needs to at least be happening at the same time that we're getting out of the four walls of our church. Because if we're not committed to growing together in Christ-likeness and committing to being the body of Christ together for his glory, then we're really, really, really going to struggle doing those other things. I have seen this, though plan some sort of outreach or missions experience and just watch corporate sanctification <laughs> take off. So I think it's, they're, they're mutually reinforcing. Right. And so my, my hope would be that every ministry and every event of the church, if, if I can put it this way, for the next 10 years, or if I, I use the phrase 15 years. So for the next 15 years, everything that we do would be, would be um, tested, not just by orthodoxy and faithfulness to scripture, but, okay, in this event, how are we getting outside the four walls? 
so we have a Bible conference coming up. Have other churches been invited? Now, that's happening inside our four walls, but if it was hosted by another church, which was the original idea for this year's Bible conference, and it it didn't work out, then, yes, we're literally and figuratively getting outside of our four walls, but we're still doing what we think we're called to do in, in terms of this specific event of, of a Bible conference. Sunday afternoon, we were having a kickball at the park. Um, that's outside the four walls, including other people who aren't part of our fellowship, uh, who wouldn't normally come on a Sunday maybe, but will come for pizza and kickball. That's another aspect. We're not only physically outside the four walls, but the community has walls even at the park. Because you don't walk up to a park and see a group of 40 to 60 people and say, oh, I'm going to have some of their pizza. There are walls there. Mm-hmm. So how do we get outside even the walls of our congregation at the park? So is the park ranger driving around? Is there a custodian or a janitor who's emptying the trash? Is there a mom with her kids at the playground when we happen to be there? Do we include or invite or even speak to those people? That's getting outside the four walls. These are things that our church needs to get better at. And that what you're referring to is what Paul, this is the upward call. I think so. I definitely so those, think so. Th- so I guess the I guess the point I'm trying to make, or the connection I'm I'm hoping to make, f- first and foremost in my mind, but then also maybe for our listeners, is that the applications, particularly that second one that you that you brought from the pulpit, which was getting outside the four walls, is not disjointed. It's not a. It's 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 because of true the, the sermon that you preached. That there we have an upward call from God, and that this is that this right. is what that looks like. It's not just read the Bible every day and pray more and love one another. Like it's all it is that, but it's more than just that, right? right. It's this this external focused. The way I'd put it is being a Christian. Because you don't turn that off. Being a Christian isn't just when I'm in my office doing my devotions. Think about where Paul is writing from <laughs> to the Philippian church. Don't be distressed that I'm in jail. In fact, it's turned out far better than right. you could have imagined because right. I was sitting here singing hymns and preaching to the guy that was chained to me, the guard, and now he's a believer. And he told his boss, and now he's a believer. Now I'm paraphrasing. That isn't exactly how it goes. But Paul literally is outside of the four walls of the church in jail. And the, the, the guards assigned to him are coming to faith through his testimony. So, so I think getting outside the four walls... It's what, what we would call in, in Westminsterian terms a good and necessary inference mm-hmm. of what this upward call looks like at the corporate level. It's not being, con- especially in America, where the kind of Christianity, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, that is acceptable and encouraged is mild 
and unoffensive. Mm-hmm. And as long as you genuflect to some of our cultural norms, we'll let you have your church. Which sounds a little bit to me like communist China. Like, don't criticize the regime, and we'll be fine. You can have your church. And so the reason the underground church in China is, is so vibrant and so big is because the rank-and-file average Christian in China recognizes that, that that doesn't pass muster for Christianity. Uh, it, it's an all-exclusive, all it's, an, it's a total presents a total claim on our lives. Mm-hmm. So I think our church needs to hear that pressing on and striving towards what lies ahead, forgetting our past accomplishments in, in that sense of, uh, of the manna point that, that I mentioned, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Um, I think our church needs to hear that because we, you know, this, the, the slumber that that's there's like a mist in the air and it's part of our sinful hearts and it's part of our sinful society that just wants us to be somewhat sleepy kind of buzzed if i can put it that way Hmm. and not fully awake and alert to our call Mm -hmm. i'm going to say something that might be slightly controversial you mentioned in this your sermon, um, and you actually mentioned on the podcast, next 15 years, right? And, and that was a marker because it's been 15 years, right? Correct. I We're so appreciate it. And, and this is, I love our church, and I'm so, so overwhelmingly thankful for what God has done in our church and bringing you and your family here from Arizona and, and everything that happened even before I was involved at Mercy Hill. I'm glad that you did not give one anecdote about the past 15 years and that your focus was the next 15 years mm. because that was you living out, whether that was purposeful or not, but you were actively living out in your sermon what you had just preached to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. And I love <coughs> recounting the stories even the ones that I've been a part of, which is a much shorter period of time than how long Mercy Hill has been in existence or you've been in New Jersey. But, man, I'd rather spend a lot more time talking about the next 15 years than the past 15. And the seed of the sermon was that precise thing because in one of our newcomer lunches that we offer, we call them Getting to Know Mercy Hill Lunch, I produced a, a really nice pamphlet that summarizes the history of Mercy Hill, and in, a, in an earlier getting to know Mercy Hill lunch earlier this spring, one of the one of the new attendees said, "Your history is very interesting. What what about the future?" And I sort of stood there, and my joke was, "I went one of these." Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm like, I had, I always have something to say, mm-hmm. and I did not know what to say, and I, I don't think I did it that day, that Sunday afternoon, but certainly Monday. I opened up that document and started thinking and praying about the material that eventually crystallized in uh, this past Sunday's sermon. So it was a well-timed question that in some ways led to the sermon that we heard on Sunday. Hmm. What do you think about the, the four 
kind of expressions of our upward call as a church that I mentioned at, at the end of the sermon. You've, you've got the list there. Yeah, so sharing the love of Jesus by like getting the word out. That's kind of verbally sharing the love of, sharing the gospel with people. Oh, and including media and in that, I kind of included the idea of yeah. our podcast. There was a kind of a indirect plug there. I do not want to be the one who monitors our Instagram stories or reels or whatever they're called, but I, th- I think it's a reality that we aren't taking full advantage of. Tim, I can see you're vigorously agreeing with me. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Yeah, that's not open up that, that can. I have well, very particular complaints and struggles with social media myself. This pod, Not podcasts in particular. I... I don't know if I'd consider podcast social media, um, although it is it is a digital media. Uh, so maybe that's a conversation for another well, I'm, episode. But uh, and I th- I know your position on this a little bit, so I was I'm not baiting you, but no, I was you're poking t- a little bit. poking a little yeah. bit. We we can agree that we need to find a way to appropriately use the media that's available to us and get the word out. That's part of. Uh, I'm essentially saying that some baptized, Christianized, biblically anchored notion of marketing, or I prefer the phrase, getting the word out, is important for a church. We've got to figure that out. And uh, people who would not have heard about our congregation, not just for the sake of hearing about it, but for the sake of becoming part of it, we need to use the tools that are available to us in some way. We may not use every single one of them, and we may not use them the way other churches use them, but we need to we need to find ways to use them to get the word out. But more importantly is we ourselves are talking to people about God right. and about our church. Yes. That's also getting the word out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was saying, being a Christian mm-hmm. all the time. Because that's what you are. You're a Christian all the time. So whether that's within your own home or at your job or on the block at the bus stop or in the supermarket or whatever the case may be. Um, Just going through your four. So getting the word out, sharing the love of Jesus with our actions, uh, raising up young men and sending them into the harvest. Mm Mm-hmm. And then getting Leadership involved development. in, in um, Christian education. Those were the four. Well, you. and prioritizing the Christian family, Christian education flowing out of that. So I wrote the, down the practical. But the but marks. the the, prin- the principal commitment to the Christian family is actually quite practical and fairly controversial. So. Um, I'm also making a, a case there that Christian education flows out of the family mm-hmm. as a primary institution. Mm-hmm. On that first point of marketing, not that we need to get into a, a huge debate, like you said, a can of worms, but this is an instance where Jesus may not be speaking to the church in, in this sermon, where I'm possibly injecting my own thoughts that, um, you know, Acts 15 said, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit the letters in Revelation, what is the Spirit saying to the churches? Maybe the Spirit isn't 
saying to our church that Instagram is important. That's going to be part of the the outworking of Christ formation, having preached the word. Right. Um, certainly, being more vocal and more intentional about our relationships, that side of getting the word out, it sounds to me like at least between these two elders of Mercy Hill, there's no question that that's a top priority. Yeah, agreed. So I, I, what I'm trying to, to give... Preaching a sermon about the vision of the church isn't just me sort of kind of banging the drum for what I think is important. But you can't separate what I think is important from any sermon, really. Mm-hmm. So there's, a, there's a, a wrestling match that the preacher goes through and that now you as an elder, but also as a member of the church, you have to go through. What is the Spirit saying to the church? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're more immediately enthusiastic about starting a Christian school than you are about our involvement with Instagram. (laughs) That sounds like a ridiculous comparison, but I'm just trying to say that in that application, some preachers are tempted to cut the application because not everybody will agree. And I, you know, I didn't take huge risks in my application this Sunday, but I took some. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned ESL and job training and, and all these things, I mean, I know we have some folks in our church that are a little leery about social gospel and, and kind of creeping um, kind of community programs that take us off mission of preaching the word. So I, I, know, I know that that was a risk too. So, and maybe you resonate more towards ESL for our international students who are part of RUF than maybe an ESL program, uh, you know, just down the road for people that will never come to church. Right, right. I think that um, two things. We are a body of believers. The church is Christ's body on earth. So that means that the Spirit works in all of us collectively. That's the corporate sanctification piece so just because you know i hear you say something and my eyebrow goes up doesn't mean that that's bad or that like you know i could be way off base even in my opinion just like you could be off in your suggestion True. that's True. why it's the work of the church as a whole as a whole that's not right. just for you or me or or any person one individual and, person and you would agree with me that we haven't laid hold of it yet that's right. But we're striving to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of us. He's, he's called us as a church. And so these applications, varied as they were, are an attempt to put some meat on the bone and give some specific, hopefully for some people, exciting. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's exciting to, to, to try new things, though it will be challenging. Mm-hmm. I also think that those for... I don't want to say examples, but propositions maybe mm-hmm. that you gave are all traceable or linked to Matthew 28 vis-a-vis Matthew 18, like we talked about last week. Right. So they're not completely disjointed or separated from the mission of the church. So it wasn't like you're suggesting, hey, let's go open a hamburger stand, you know, or something right. like Mercy Hill. Gospel you know. burgers. <coughs> as much as I love the sound of that. 
um, that isn't in keeping. That vision does not align with the mission no. of Christ Church. So I think that's the baseline, right? The, those are the boundaries, if you will. Right, and so the, 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 the vision, the suggestion, the kind of the suggested outlines of this 5, 10, 15-year vision, uh, I wanted to have traceable traceable to the origin of the Great Commission as we articulated uh, in John 15 and in the True Vine sermon two weeks ago. That's a good point. Right, right. So uh, maybe we can end on, on this. There is, and th- you, this was on your points, there is an end. Like there is a finish line. There is a goal, right? You, I think it was in your first point that it's an athletic, the athletic character mm-hmm. of this upward call is that there is a goal or there is a, and there's a prize, which means that a couple things, there is a, there is an end to that race, right? It's not infinite. It's not, um, it is coming mm-hmm. <laughs> for most of us. It's coming quickly. We have a limited amount of time personally, individually to do these things, to do anything. So, you know, you also made the point that we, there's no room for laziness or complacency here, status quo. You could argue just from the fact that there is a limit here that you, you can make the case that there's no status quo. That wasn't the point that you were making, but no, but it's a good one. Um, yeah, I look at it one with a sense of urgency because there is an end. There is a goal, but also, and I really appreciated your, your, um, story from, was it coach T? Is yeah. What it was? Of look 10 yards beyond that finish. Line. Right. I would encourage our church to at the very least, if we're not looking 10 yards beyond, which we, we, we certainly could or should be, at least we should be looking at that finish line. Um, not three steps ahead. Hmm not down at the ground at the next two yards, mm-hmm. which I think is my temptation. And maybe as a church, it, it might, hey, we got to walk before, we got to crawl before we walk, before mm-hmm. we run kind of thing. And, and I, what I'm hearing is, okay, there's some truth to that. You know, my three-year-old's not going to go run a marathon. But, like, we, there, God has shown us what that end is. Mm-hmm. We know what the end is. It's not a surprise. So let's be moving with haste, with some oomph, mm-hmm. with some momentum. And I think this is, a, this is a true thing lived out in reality. You see people racing, going back to where we started, runners that race. If you get a fast, what is it, a heat, mm-hmm. like a bunch of guys who are all very fast, all of their times seem to be better when they're running in a fast heat, meaning um, a real life analogy. I think the third and fourth fastest miles ever recorded happened in a, in a heat last week in Oregon, the same, uh, an American and a guy from Norway, I think they ran the third and fourth fastest miles in history because they were racing one another. 
That's a good illustration. And so if we're all committed to running this race, this goes back to the corporate sanctification, then we will make progress in that regard. But if we're all going to be lazy, (laughs) then, you know, we're going to, we're going to struggle and it can't just be one and like one person, you can't be running a mile ahead of us, Phil, you know, in that regard, you can't pull us all along. No. And and that's, that is the recipe for burnout and, uh, pastors, some pastors struggle with, with discouragement. So, um, one of the things the Lord has impressed upon me this year is he said, um, not in an audible voice, but he's telling me, Phil, I have commanded you to walk in the spirit, not in front of the spirit. Hmm. You can follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You can walk with the spirit, but don't get ahead of the spirit. And so, again, a refrain from our podcast today. What is the spirit saying to Mercy Hill? What is the Spirit saying to the church, to the PCA? And what are we called what are we called to do about that? If you have answers, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> the the beauty of having a microphone and no uh person in the room right. to answer my questions. Right. Um any any parting thoughts on this one no just um you know preaching a a short topical series is a challenge and i'm grateful that the church and the leadership supports me as i uh, take on such challenges and um, i did get some good feedback from from that so i'm hopeful that that as we move into our fall season of ministry that Getting out of the four walls will be something of a of a rallying cry as we'll <coughs> seek to apply mm-hmm. it in in some creative ways. Yeah, I thought that it was a great great mini series um, on the on the coming behind First Peter. All these thoughts are still running through my head of how mm-hmm. this is all connected. Um, I would encourage our listeners if if you're part of our church. Um, I don't mean to speak for you, Phil, but I, I know you've said this to me many a time, so I, I feel comfortable putting it out there on the airwaves. If you have thoughts or feedback for Phil on the sermon, uh, I think those, th- those are always welcome. And I know that you don't have a bunch of extra voices around your lunch table at the moment that you had earlier this year. Um, just, you know, changes in life. So right. um, I, I'm, it's hitting me now that, you know, Four months ago, it was, oh, well, this is the feedback that my family gave me on the sermon, That's and true. I'm not hearing that now, and That's it feels true. kind of weird, to be honest. That's so um, so if anyone has if you have feedback for Phil on the sermon or feedback for us on the podcast, um, I'll take the podcast feedback. <laughs> you can give Phil the sermon feedback. Um, a quick plug, and you mentioned it already, Phil, for the Bible conference coming up next weekend on Saturday at the church house on 300 university boulevard uh breakfast at 8 30 and the conference starts at 9 9 to 12 and there'll be lunch, lunch afterward yep so you can register on our website there's no cost it's anyone and everyone is welcome to join us um, we just ask if you would please register so we can get a head count in advance um what's what's our topic for that real quick the triumph of christ and the mission of the church first peter right mm-hmm 
So lessons for everyday Christians from First Peter. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Looking forward to that. So uh, I'd, I commend that to you if you can join us on Saturday. We mentioned the kickball game on Sunday. Our our ca- church calendar is just jam packed with stuff. So. Um, thanks for everyone for tuning in again this week. We look forward to being with you again um, next week. We'll have to f- figure out what our show will look like since we have a guest preacher. But maybe we could talk about the conference a little bit yeah. um, next week. But anyway, hopefully our conversation was a blessing to you. And we do pray that you would have a good rest of your week. And we'll catch you next week on The Deeper Cut. <laughs>